to interrupt them. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family at the Lake Norman YMCA and everybody worshiping online. Great to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As Gray said, December is a time, uh, certainly of giving for our congregation, also a time of a lot of change for us. We have been preparing uh, for a lot of the year to make the transition from Lake Forest Davidson to Story Hill Church. Our first decade, we have been a campus of Lake Forest Church here in uh, Davidson, thus Lake Forest Davidson. At the conclusion of this year, with the blessing of Lake Forest, we will become our own freestanding church called Story Hill Church. And so we're excited for this new step of maturity for our church family and for whatever our continued relationship, what we call kindred work, will continue to do with Lake Forest in the future, including starting two new churches. And so on the 12th at 4 p.m., we will have the service to officially establish Story Hill Church. So on the 12th, our hearts will become Story Hill Church, okay? Our checks do not become Story Hill Church until January 1st. So you're smart people, you'll figure this thing out. So all giving in December needs to go to Lake Forest or Lake Forest Davidson. Uh, that would be wonderful. And if you receive a check from the church, it will say Lake Forest at the top. We are doing business as Lake Forest Davidson through the end of the year, even though on the 12th at 4 p.m. our hearts will become Story Hill Church. Does this make any sense? Yes. Perfect. I will say, if you did not know this, like... Major organizational transitions are not the bread and butter of a church. So thank you for your grace for any bumps in the past, in the present, in the future. Thank you for your grace on this. It'll be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Speaking of December, December would also mean we are starting to wrap up our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S, because for all of 2021, we have been walking through the big picture of the Bible so that you and I can find our place in what God is doing in this world. And today we begin volume eight, volume eight of eight. We're here. We are, we are closing it down. We are, we are starting to land the plane. If today is your first Sunday with us, I'm now going to summarize 11 months worth of work in two minutes. Mm. We have seen the promises of the Old Testament. That's the first half of the Bible. The promises of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, who has come to establish God's eternal kingdom. Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, he forever changed the world. He allows all of us to be forever reconciled to God. Jesus' invitation to you and to me remains the same, which is, come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. And so at the end of the Bible, but even in our world today, what we see is that God the Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you ever become a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus to push the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. Getting the hope and the mercy of Jesus into every nook and cranny of creation. 
So in our final month with the story with a capital S, we want to look at some of the last books of the Bible and the emphasis, especially the emphasis they place on hope. Hope. Today we turn our attention to the passage Georgia read for us earlier, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 36. It's a passage about the suffering of God's people, which is a major theme of the Old Testament, which is a major theme of the New Testament. Merry Christmas, everybody. The sermon is about suffering. And yet, isn't this God meeting us at our point of need? Because for almost two years, we have been on high alert. And so at this point, all of us are fatigued and fragile. We are 22 miles into a marathon, wondering why all these little things keep snowballing into big things, wondering why all these cracks now look like canyons, and wondering why all these other people can't get their act together. The reason is you are fatigued and fragile. I am fatigued and fragile. And the answer is not trying harder. The answer is leaning into a different kind of strength, a strength that's greater than what we have within ourselves. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. When you read the last books of the Bible, you'll be struck or you are struck by how much they talk about suffering and how much they talk about hope. And the reason is those are related. Now, personally, I want to be a person of hope. I want to be a person of character. On my better days, I want to be a person of perseverance. And I mostly want those to come all by themselves. Romans 5 says it's not quite that easy. That as a Christian, God himself is changing you from the inside out. That inviting Christ into the center of your life and the center of all areas of your life is transformational, but not everyone will be thrilled with the transformation. Not everyone will encourage you to walk in God's ways. Some people will not know how to respond when they encounter the hope and the mercy of Jesus. Maybe you know that firsthand or you remember a time in your life where you didn't quite know how to respond to the hope and mercy of Jesus. The point being that followers of Christ will thus sometimes face hardship or suffering because of our faith. Now, to be clear, sometimes we bring that hardship on ourselves by being a jerk for Jesus. And it's hard to drum up any sympathy for a jerk for Jesus. We don't have to go out looking for suffering. Suffering will find you just fine. Suffering finds everybody just fine. And being a Christian does not get you around that. In fact, sometimes being a Christian might actually create some hardship or suffering in your life. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. Sometimes we do experience hardship because we do something wrong and we have to live with the consequences of what we've done. But just because something hard or difficult or is going on in life doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything wrong. It does mean, though, that you're human. And that the culture around you and me is in some way hostile to Jesus, just like ancient Rome was hostile to Jesus. So my point is that suffering, hardship, sometimes even persecution is just a natural part of the Christian life. Just as they were part of Jesus' life. But suffering, according to the Bible, can lead us to perseverance. And as we persevere, we become people of greater character because character is often formed in tough circumstances when you and I don't bail out at the first sign of trouble. And then as people of greater character, we become people of greater hope. Hope is a gritty confidence about the future because of your trust in who holds it. Hope is a gritty confidence about the future because of your trust in who holds it. Hope is not naive. Hope is not fickle. Hope is tenacious. Hope is gritty. Sometimes hope even limps. Hope is a flame and it burns bright and the firewood is often suffering, hardship, the difficult times in life that teach us to persevere, become people of greater character, and ultimately greater hope. This brings us to our passage this morning, what Georgia read for us earlier. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is mostly about people who lived by faith. But then at the end of the chapter, it makes a turn and it starts to talk about people who died because of their faith. Verse 36. Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. So again, Hebrews 11 is about people in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, who live by faith and those who even died because of their faith. But when you see what someone is willing to die for, you realize what they were willing to live for. And so at this point in the passage where people in the Old Testament who died because of stoning, which we think was the fate of the prophets Zechariah and Jeremiah, people who were sawed in two, there's some historical evidence to suggest that's what happened to the prophet Isaiah, that there is something warped in the human heart that doesn't know how to respond to a God-centered life. And the writer of Hebrews reflects on the martyrs, those who died for their faith by saying, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. That we don't deserve the martyrs. How could we discard like trash someone who clung so tightly to their faith? Someone who would rather give up life itself 
than to give up their love of God. Now, why did the earliest Christians need to hear all this stuff? They needed to hear it because this was starting to happen to them. They were starting to suffer and experience hardship because of their faith. They were having their property seized. They were being run out of town. Some of them were being killed. They needed to know they were not alone. They needed to know that for centuries, people had lived by faith. And some had even died because of faith. When we talk about faith, in the New Testament, the word for faith and trust and belief are different translations of the same word. In the New Testament, faith, trust, and belief are all different translations of the same Greek word. So to the original writers, to the original Christians, the words or the ideas of faith, trust, and belief are all the same thing. So when Hebrews says that these people lived by faith and died because of faith, it it doesn't just mean they believed in God, it means they trusted God. They responded to the love of God, the love most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. They responded to the love of God with faith, with trust. The life of faith typically begins for us when we trust a little less in ourselves and what we can see. And we start to trust a little more in God and the eternal life that He offers. Maybe you've had this sort of experience where you look at the world around you and you say, there has to be more than this. There has to be more to life than acquiring money, building prestige, getting people who think like me elected. If that's all existence is about, this is a petty experiment. But we live on this beautiful blue and and green orb floating out in the night sky. Isn't there something more going on here? The unlikelihood that you would get an orb like that floating, because there's a bunch of other orbs out there, and they don't look quite like this. Is something else going on here? So you set to find out. You leave behind the world that you know and that you've constructed for yourself, in hopes that there's something deeper and more satisfying somewhere out there. The life of faith is starting to bubble up inside of you, and you don't even know it. You're starting to trust a little less in yourself and trust a little less in the world that you see around you in hopes that there's more to life than what you've already experienced. Over time, you search and you seek, and it's my prayer that your hope starts to become a capital H, hope as you learn to trust and be reconciled to the one who holds the future. So chapter 12 begins this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So after talking about all these people who live by faith, and even the people who died because of faith, as an encouragement to the earliest Christians who are suffering... Hebrews imagines the Christian life is like running a race. Now, as you can probably tell by looking at me, I don't know a lot about running. So I hope this part of the sermon makes sense. But as you run the race, or if you ever decide to run the race of the Christian faith, the the images that the stands are filled with multitudes of people who are trying to remind you that faith is worth it. Trusting God is worth it. 
There's greater character to be found as you live by faith. There's greater hope to be found as you live by faith. The stands are filled with people from the Old Testament, people from the New Testament, people down through the ages, screaming in unison together as you and I run the race. Perseverance. Perseverance. Live by faith. Live by faith. Let's keep changing it up so you don't get bored. Live by faith. It is worth it. It is. I don't know much about running, but I was the mascot at Davidson for a few years, and I, I do still remember some of that. Some people argue I'm still the mascot of Davidson, Dave. The great cloud of witnesses. Those stands filled. It is amazing to see what happened in the lives of others. And especially what I want to do now is talk about what happened in the lives of Jesus' earliest disciples. Those original eyewitnesses to Jesus and those who came to believe because of those eyewitnesses. I have a pen pal, which is not a joke. It is laughable, but it's not a joke. I have a pen pal in Vermont who is a retired New Testament professor. He wrote a book called The Apostles After Acts. The Apostles After Acts, A-C-T-S. There it is, Tom. The Apostles After Acts. It's available where all fine books are sold. Brilliant guy, PhD from Cambridge. He wrote this book after investing significant time into researching the historical documents that we have to understand what happened to many of the best-known Christians right after the events recorded in the New Testament? The answer is they lived by faith, and many of them died because of faith. Listen with me to this great cloud of witnesses and see if their hope doesn't renew your confidence. Because Jesus had told these folks that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and that when that happened, they would push the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. And they would start in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus had died and resurrected, but there would be waves of impact out of Jerusalem that would eventually change the world. And that's what happened. Peter was the leader of the church. He spread the hope of Jesus throughout Turkey, even went to Rome. In Rome, he was crucified. His brother Andrew, who joined him as the first and second disciple, his brother Andrew went north and east of Jerusalem to the area of the Black and Caspian Seas, and there he was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, the third disciple who joined up, stayed in Jerusalem to minister to the people there, and he was beheaded. John, James's brother, the other son of Zebedee, lived out his faith in Turkey and in Ephesus. He is the only of the original 12 disciples we know lived to old age, was John. Nathaniel went north to Armenia to share the grace and truth of Jesus, and there he was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, as best we can tell, stayed in the Jerusalem Judea region to minister and was likely stoned for doing so. 
We don't really know what happened to Matthew or Matthias. There is some evidence to suggest Matthew ended his ministry as far as the eastern horn of Africa. Philip was likely crucified because of his ministry to the people of Greece and Turkey. Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot were wild men. And as best we can tell, they went through northern Africa, then back up through Europe, eventually to Persia, pushing out the hope and mercy of Jesus. And in Persia, Thaddeus was killed by the sword. Simon the Zealot, also killed by the sword. Thomas. There is compelling evidence Thomas went east and made it to the Indian subcontinent. And that there he planted many churches and was utterly spe- ultimately speared to death for doing so. Outside of those original 12 disciples, you have Paul, who we've talked about in the last weeks. He started a bunch of churches. He may have made it as far as Spain in that effort, as far as Spain in that effort. But ultimately, as best we can tell from history, he was beheaded in Rome for his faith. And likely that happened within months of Peter being crucified in Rome for his faith. Imagine the fledgling church losing their most two significant human leaders within months of each other. Barnabas, the great encourager, went to Cyprus to minister to the people there, and he was stoned to death. James the Just, the brother of Jesus, talk about a tough gig, James the Just stayed in Jerusalem to love the people there, to make it not difficult for people to turn to God, and he was stoned. Jude, the other brother of Jesus, even being the even younger brother of Jesus, a very tough gig, He, as best we can tell, went back to the Sea of Galilee, where they were from, and he lived by faith there until his natural death. The same was true of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. They lived to their natural deaths and did ministry in the Jerusalem, Judea area, and then up into Ephesus. Mark, who wrote a book of the Bible, likely from Peter's stories and sermons, Mark ultimately wound up in Egypt to minister to people, and there he was beaten to death. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Isn't it amazing to sit back and think about how those earliest Christians were changed because of the crucified and resurrected Jesus? How they fanned out throughout the known world to share the grace and truth, the hope and mercy of Jesus to those who needed to hear it and see it and experience it. And time and again, they were told, stop doing that or die. They chose to die. And yet their suffering did not destroy the Christian movement. Their suffering became the firewood, which caused the capital H hope of Jesus to burn even brighter. History reinforces the integrity of the Christian faith. Because imagine these disciples had just been hoodwinked by this dude, and they wanted to save face, 
So they faked a resurrection, wrote a bunch of books about it. Okay, but then why go to every corner of the world to spread the lie? Why, why submit to gruesome death for a lie? It seems to me they weren't doing all this to spread a lie. They were doing it to spread capital H hope. They didn't die for a lie. They died because they had found in the resurrected Jesus a different kind of hope, an eternal hope, a forever hope, a hope that is formed through character, formed through perseverance, even formed through suffering. The Scripture tells us as runners to let this crowd, this great cloud of witnesses, inspire us, inspire us to run at our best, which means getting rid of hindrances, getting rid of entanglements, that God is freeing us to say that we can be different. By God's grace, you can be different. By God's grace, you can be different. You don't have to be weighed down by all the hindrances that have been weighing you down. You don't have to be weighed down by the sin that has been hanging you down. You can start to walk more in God's ways. Let go of some of the hindrances. Relying on God, you can be less burdened by the things that have burdened you. You can do it because you have hope, a gritty confidence about the future because you trust the one who holds it. When you see the people who saw Jesus face to face, who abandoned him in his death, and he had to go find them after his resurrection because they were hiding, you realize that when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they developed a gritty confidence about the future. It told them what they were willing to live for, ultimately what they were willing to die for. In light of all this, in light of the cheering crowd, in light of how they lived their lives, and they were very imperfect people, but yet in light of how they lived their lives, in the fact that by God's grace you and I can be different, the Scripture says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And if this is the end of the sermon, it would be a great self-help sermon. Try harder, do better, see you next week. But the verse keeps going. It says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. In other words, you can persevere in the midst of your commitments. You can persevere in the midst of living by faith, even when things get tough, so long as you don't lose sight of Jesus. So long as you don't lose sight of Jesus, don't lose sight of Jesus, who loves you, who knows you, who desires to reconcile you to God. Yes, he was fully God, but he became fully God and fully human. He lived on this earth so that you and I could know God and know what God is like. He died a criminal's death on the cross. He withstood God's justice so that we could receive God's mercy. And then he was raised from the dead. He walked out of the grave so that one day his followers can too. Jesus had his own race to run. And Jesus persevered. 
The passage continues, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He persevered. You can persevere, I can persevere, because Jesus persevered. You can endure, I can endure, because Jesus endured. He endured the cross, and he endured it for joy. He endured for joy. He was motivated by joy, the joy of pleasing his Father who is in heaven, the joy of running his race well, the joy of offering reconciliation back to God, to you and to me and to anyone who would receive it. Your growing relationship with God brings Jesus joy. When you sing, I once was lost, but now am found, it gives Jesus joy. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of his joy. You and I are fatigued and fragile. And in the midst of whatever suffering or hardship you are in or you will be in soon, if you ever come into a time where you are persecuted on the job, in the the classroom, just in general because of your faith, don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of his joy. Whatever you do in life, don't lose sight of Jesus. We talked about this about two months ago where the woman had to fight through the crowd of Jesus' followers to just get to Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. He persevered because of joy. He can strengthen you to persevere for the joy. So the question I'd like to ask you as I close this cheeriest of Christmas sermons would be, who in the great cloud of witnesses encourages you to persevere? Who in the great cloud of witnesses encourages you to persevere? You are not the first person who has ever run this race. And the truth is, you may have to do a little research to answer this question. You may have to find a pen pal to answer this question. Or a Google engine. But a little research is not a bad thing. Who from the Bible, who from history, who from your own life lived by faith, maybe even died because of faith? And that inspires you to persevere in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of hardships, remembering that you can become a person of deeper character and deeper hope. And as you reflect on who in that great cloud of witnesses inspires you to persevere, please remember that their lives ultimately are pointing you to Jesus. Don't confuse the follower and the one they follow. Because Jesus, yes, Jesus encourages you to persevere, but Jesus can also empower you to persevere. He can give you that different kind of strength 
in the midst of what you're going through so that suffering might produce perseverance, but perseverance might produce character and that character might produce hope. And hope will not let you down because hope is gritty, a confidence about who holds the future. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that we are not the first people to have run this race. And so I pray that you will strengthen us when our eyes can get fixated on the struggles of the present. That you will lift our eyes to the horizon where we will see perseverance to be gained, character to be cultivated hope to be deepened. I thank you for those original eyewitnesses and those who came to believe because of them. They force us again to ask the question, who is this Jesus that changed the lives of all these people and is still today changing lives? Lord, as we hear what their lives would say, may we be willing to open our heart to the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. May we be willing to open our lives and new areas of our life to Jesus. We pray in his matchless name. Amen.